Welcome back to the itinerary. Hello, everybody. I am Jared Schwartz. I'm Melissa Schwartz. Hello, Melissa. How Hi, are Jared. you? Nice to see you. This have we met? I think so. One, once or twice. This is episode number 15. We're heading to Japan. Well, we already went, but you're heading to Japan on this episode. Uh, three nights in the great city of Tokyo. This is the start of a 10-day Asia trip as... Most of you will tack this onto other destinations. If you're heading over there to Asia, you'll, you'll probably do Tokyo or J- other parts of Japan and then add on other uh, you know, Asian destinations either in the north or go down to Southeast Asia as well to make the most of the long journey out there. Um, something new that we want to tell you about is the new website where you yourself can get Uh, personalized trip planning help, how to best use your points and miles, and one-on-one support to get the most value of what you've been saving up. So all you have to do is visit theitinerarytravel.info. That's theitinerarytravel.info. You can get in touch with us. There's um, a contact info form where you can send a message. So if you want to plan a trip or your friends have been telling you that they have all these miles, but they don't know what to do with them, send them to the website. You go to the website as well, theitinerarytravel.info. Tell them to get in touch, and we can help. So, Melissa, those 100,000 American Express miles that you know you got with the sign-up bonus and that you've been saving up, probably don't know what to do with them. But uh, all you have to do is go to the website and send us an email, and we can put you on the right track to using those miles and getting the best value out of them. I also think that your specialty is you have 100,000 Amex miles, and then you have um, hotel points from a different property, and you're really good at combining them to one thing. Yeah, there's a... I think 1% of the population understands how to do. Right, a lot of people don't know. Because like anyone can spend 100,000 Amex Right. We're not talking about spending it through Amex. We're talking about getting the most value out of your points, and that means transferring them to different partners, whether it's through a third-party partner, as Melissa mentioned, hotel points, uh, to airline miles, however you want to do it to get the most value of all those points you've been saving up and go on an awesome trip as well. So all you have to do, check out the uh, website, theitinerarytravel.info. We travel a lot. Everyone asks, where'd you go? How'd you get there? What'd you do? Where'd you stay? So we thought we'd take you through how we booked our flights, whether it's those points, miles, upgrades, cash. Then we're going to go through where we stayed, what we ate, and all the activities we did on this itinerary. Also, you can catch us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We are on Instagram. What is it? It's called the handle. Is that it? Our Instagram handle. Our Instagram handle is at the itinerary, the underscore itinerary underscore podcast. Wow, I just butchered that completely. Well, I was going to say, you demoted me. I'm no longer allowed to do the intro. So We I changed think, it up. I think, I'm getting the, I think I'm getting the intro back next week. The variety. It's coming uh, back. Okay. It's coming okay. home to mama. So, Instagram, the underscore itinerary <laughs> underscore podcast. So, catch all our travel pictures there. Um like our pictures, follow us, do all those stalk us, do all those things <laughs> you want to do. Home. That's right. Uh, remember to rate, review, subscribe the podcast. Uh, when you pull up the itinerary on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, on your iPhone or iPad, just scroll down and rate it five stars. Of course, write a review and subscribe. Tell a friend. Most importantly, tell a friend to check out the podcast to download it. Helps out. Um, 
so yeah, this is episode 15. We're heading up over Canada to the Arctic Circle, back down over the Pacific, and landing in Asia. Does that sound good? It does. All right. Tokyo. Let's board. Let's go. How we got there. This was a fair we booked in an interesting third-party kind of way. We transferred chase points to United and booked using the United portal, but we didn't fly United. We flew Asiana, and that was from JFK over to Seoul, South Korea, and then connected there from South Korea to Tokyo. And you ask, you know, why'd you do that, or... Couldn't you have gotten a direct flight? Um, There's a couple of reasons. Number one, the value of the points. At the time of booking, uh, and we were flying in business class, of course. Of uh, course. With the lie flat seats. Well, I think the simple answer is for the amount of points we paid, we couldn't fly direct in business class to Tokyo. Well, it's a couple of things. It's the value that you got out of the ticket. So at the time, 70,000 points... One way in business class is a steal. You can't even get that anymore. It's up to about 90 right now um, on the Saver Awards. So, and then also, I wanted to fly on the A380, the Superjet, which is the double-decker. Um, and Asiana flies from New York to Seoul. And when you get an award ticket like this, if you book in business class, then your connecting flight is also in business class. Um, doesn't always have to be that way. There's There are definitely mixed cabin you know, uh, itineraries, but for this one, uh, had the business class lie flat seat and then connected in Seoul, um, to an A321, couple hour flight there. Um, and then, but let's talk about the first one. It's 14 hours, um, to Seoul, as I mentioned, Arctic Circle, Pacific Ocean, and then you land in South Korea. Um, I thought that flight was great. Like, not only, I believe it was our, it was one of our first. It was our first business, business class, class trips together. So I don't know if it was like your first is always the best, but so Jared makes um, photo books of all of our trips, and so sometimes the first we have too many trips the, now. The first couple of pages of this book, it looks like Jared is at this tasting menu, but it's really in the seat of his uh, business class. It was a tasting menu. That that's what it was. Um, they had great food. Um, the seats were twenty one inches wide, eighty inches of pitch. The staff was very friendly. Um, you never know when you're flying an international airline. You know what you're gonna get. But um, Asiana on service and food had good reviews. And I had never flown the A three eighty before. And there's only a couple of airlines that that still fly it out of the U S. And it was. It was awesome. Like, you didn't even feel like you were moving. Um, we were on the top deck, of the course. The bathroom, I remember, was gorgeous and so spacious. Yeah, it was huge. Um, so this 14-hour journey, I think we both said to ourselves, felt like five. Yeah. Um, just by the amount of food that you were eating, course after course after course. They had a, they had a ramen snack in between the main meal. Um, the wine service was great. Uh, I think you slept for 10 of the hours, of course. Yeah, you, like, made me get up to eat. Um, yeah, I mean, because that's part of the experience. Like, if you're going to do it, might as well experience it. 
Um, so overall, it was a great flight. Um, you can fly direct from obviously the U.S. to Tokyo. So about a two-hour layover there. And one interesting note, something in the news this week, actually on Asiana, because it makes sense, they're getting rid of all of their first class on their planes. So we flew business class, but then on a lot of these international carriers, they have first class as well, but it's just one or two rows of suites, and really nobody ever uses them, just because if you're going to pay cash, it's ridiculous. And even if you're going to pay miles, um, say we booked the business class for 70, first class was like 110. It's not worth it. Um, I mean, you get a little wider seat, you get a little more room, but that, that's really it. It's the same service. Um, so they're getting rid of it on all their aircraft for Asiana and they're putting in more business class seats, which is probably a good idea. More people will buy them. Yeah. Um, so that's your, that's your news for this episode. Um, but yeah, once we got there and off of the flight from Seoul to Tokyo, which was on an A321, um, there's two airports that you can go into in Tokyo. And I think that's important for people who are traveling there who might not know. So there's Haneda, which we flew into, um, which is about a half hour from the city. That's great. You know, it's short. Uh, we ended up taking a cab uh, from the airport. It was late at night. So the public transportation that you may use wasn't really available to us. The other airport is Narito, which we flew out of on our way back, which is an hour and a half with no traffic. Not only did we have traffic, um, but we took this limo bus thing on the way back just because it was like a quarter of the price. It took close to two and a half hours to get from downtown Tokyo to Narita Airport. So if, you, if you're booking that flight and you're leaving out of Narita or you're even coming in, just give yourself many, many hours to spare on your travel day. The other thing regarding Haneda is it really is just a half hour car ride. Do you, do you remember how much money that cost? A lot. It was ridiculous, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about on the episode, how expensive Tokyo is. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the dollar amount. Oh, I remember it. How much was it? It was like $90. To go a half hour. Well, it wasn't a half hour because we got in at 1 in the morning, so there was no traffic, so it was like 15. a 20-minute like cab ride for $90. And that was uh, eye-opening, to say the least, but that was just the start of it uh, in Tokyo. It's a really expensive city um well that one cab ride made us you know change where we were having dinner one night because i was like i'm not paying 95 well you were right you originally <laughs> you know made the dinner reservations and you wanted to go i forgot what was the place you it's, wanted to it's go to Caillou Bay, and so right we, so we still went there but they have two different locations correct um, you wanted to go to a place I think was like a half hour away or and I so. Was like, yeah, that's not, yeah that's not happening. After one taxi ride, Just that that was not such happening. Such a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, the cabs are cool though. They have the doors that that go up. They're kind of futuristic in a sense. Yeah. Um, so. I would say the whole city is like really futuristic. Well, the city in itself, if like if you're just trying to get an intro, you know, to Tokyo and what it is, it's massive. The city itself is huge. There's so many different areas. Um, it's extremely populated, um, and I think it was the the place that I felt most away from America. Yeah, like there was nothing there besides seeing like a McDonald's on the side of the street that was Americanized about it. Uh, there was no English spoken at all. It was difficult to get around in. Um, 
it was very expensive. It was very crowded. Um, but besides that, I found it super unique and it was one of my favorite cities that I've ever been to. And we'll get into, you know, why that was and the places we went to. Um, we were staying at the Park Hyatt Hotel, which was in Shinjuku, um, which is one of the main areas there. It's actually part of the, of the red light district. The Park Hyatt Hotel is not in the red light district, but it's kind of close. Also, isn't their red light district different than like the red light district in Amsterdam? Yeah. When they say red light district, it's more like a lot of bars and clubs Yeah, more so. Um, when you think of Tokyo and all the neon lights and the flashing lights, that's kind of what it is. I mean, Tokyo is like... Japan is, like, a little kinky. Like, they have the love hotels where right. you, you know, get a hotel room for an hour to, like, take care of you. That must be cleanly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so coming from two germaphobes. <laughs> That's where my mind went originally. Like, how disgusting would that be for, like, rent a hotel room for an hour and, ha- and think about how many people have done that? Yeah. Sick. Like, and then you just could, spring for the then, night. Then you could get some like soiled underwear yeah, from a vending we don't, machine we don't want, on your yeah, way Yeah, we out. don't want to get into that. Okay. Um, let's keep it. Let's, let's keep ta- it PG. Let's so talk wanna, about the hotel. We want to talk about the Park Hyatt. Yeah. Okay, so I love Scarlett Johansson and Lost in Translation was filmed at this hotel. I was pretty open to honestly staying at any hotel. Tokyo has no deficit of high-end hotels. However, all of uh, said high-end hotels were like $900 a night, which was Over not budget. which was not going to happen. <laughs> um, but what I realized was for the Chase Hyatt credit card that Park Hyatt's were included in this incentive that once you spend $3,000 in three months, you could get two free nights. That's a great deal. It, it is a great deal when the room rate is 8.36 a night. And I called and I knew the dates that we were going to be going and they were like, yeah, no blackout dates. So I got that card. And you were surprised, I, right? I, I was like waiting for... The only thing I will say is, is that it wasn't two consecutive nights. So the way it worked out, so we had a... We got one free night, then we had to pay for a night in the middle, and then we got another free night. But, like, we were staying three nights anyway, so it didn't matter. Um, Which, like, it still averages $300 a night, which is pretty sad when, like, you're getting two free nights. But it is what it is. So, yeah, was able to stay there for a lot less than if we were to stay somewhere else. What I will say, though, is... Knowing how hard it is to use the transit system and how expensive their taxis are, I felt like that area was a little remote and I would have preferred to stay in Ginza. Um, And I would love to go back to Tokyo. So in the future, that's where I would like to stay. See, I didn't agree with you on that. And Ginza is the shopping district, I guess you would would call it. I would say that like the... All the restaurants that we went to had at least one outpost there. I guess it was like a central hub to the city, if you will, but there's so many different areas of Tokyo that are unique that I didn't necessarily think like, oh, I have to stay in one particular area. If you want to check out a certain hotel, sure. Um, Yeah, I think I didn't mind the area in Shinjuku that we were staying in as much as you did. Um, I I guess you felt a little isolated. Yeah, it was isolating, and you're in a place for the first time, so you want to explore it, so it like... You have to get to other places, and I just felt like it was very. But even hard. if you stayed in, even if you stayed in Ginza, 
to explore these other places, you would have to take a cab if you're not going to take public transportation, which we tried multiple times to, <laughs> and there's no English signs at all. So we didn't know what the heck we were doing there. Yeah. So we said, screw it, let's take a cab. But if you were in Ginza, you still have to take cabs around. I think maybe more. Like you're not just going to stay in Ginza and that's you're getting, it. You're getting very heated about this. I think it was more. I'm passionate. Like, you, I could tell. Um, I think it was more like if we were staying in Ginza, we wouldn't have had to take cabs to dinners. We could have walked. Okay. Um, but like in the hotel, they had the cool, the New York bar and grill, New York grill. And then they have a New York bar. It's on the 52nd floor of the Park Hyatt Hotel. So, like, uh, sick views. Yeah, on a clear day, you can actually see Mount Fuji from up there. Um, they do have a $20 cover uh, for the bar area. Um, if, you've, if you've been to New York, in Manhattan, or you live in Manhattan, and you've been to, like, Bemelman's on the Upper East Side... I feel like... Similar vibes. Yeah, it's a similar vibe to that. It's very upscale. It's very old school. You're going to pay $25 for a drink. Um, but it's like an experience. It's like a nice night out. Uh, we didn't eat there, but we did get drinks there. Um, so it was, a, it was a cool spot, especially, obviously, if you're staying in the hotel, it's convenient as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I liked the hotel. I didn't think it was worth the money that the going rate was luckily we did get those two free nights there um because i didn't think it, it was certainly nice um and it's known as you know one of the top hotels in the city um but it wasn't like anything memorable i would say i thought the bar the new york bar which we just talked about was pretty cool besides that yeah so it's okay so so such as little snob i created <laughs> um so let's talk about some of the other areas that, that you mentioned. So we, we spoke about a little the red light districts. It's not really like an Amsterdam red light district or anything like that. Um, but it's called Kabukichu in Shinjuku. So it's an area about that. There's other areas that have like landmarks. They're known for cat cafes there. Um, what is a cat cafe? So... We're not, like, gimmicky people, right. but I do feel like there's a side of Tokyo and Japanese culture that, that's a little, like, cheesy, gimmicky. Oh, yeah. Um, so the cat cafes, they have cats running around. Same thing with maid cafes. They have... Oh, women, yeah, the maid cafes, they have women that's right. dressed up in, like, old-school, short, made little outfits where they're, like, dusting you in, like, a sexual way. Um, they have the Kauai Monster Cafe, which is like a theme park, uh, but it's a restaurant. And then they have- Would the you ever walk into a cat cafe? I'm sorry. I have then, to go back to that for a second. Then they have the robot restaurant. I wouldn't really go into any of these places. But like, but what's the draw of it that you can have 10 cats like running, on, on you while you're drinking coffee? Like, is that it? Yeah. It, I mean, these places stay in business and they have multiple locations. So obviously- Wild. That is wild. Unless you're like- one of these cat ladies that just lives with seven, eight cats. I don't. I do not know why people would want to go in there and spend their money in there. Okay, the robot cafe. We walked by it. Uh, I actually have a picture sitting outside um, in a glorified high chair. I would say with yeah, all it's these like world domination. Yeah, You're like with these all these. Uh, it's very Game of Thrones actually. Yeah. Um, with all the lights going off and 
you can go see the robot show too for about $85 a person if you really want to. Uh, yeah, and I think our time was so limited that we initially, like I had the maid cafe on the list, and then I was like, you know what? The food's going to be shitty there. We're only here for three Hello, TGI Fridays. We're Hello, only- Olive Garden. Well, we were there for a limited time, and I was like, I would rather have some really good meals and just skip it. But Right, which we did. We did. We had amazing food. Amazing, which we're going to tell you about. Yeah, we'll get to that in a couple minutes. Um, so some other areas, Shibuya Crossing, it's like the, the Times Square, I guess. Well, it's of, the busiest intersection in the world. Right, but the whole area is very busy as well, so I would relate it to kind of Times Square. Um, but yeah, the intersection itself is a four-way intersection going all at one time. Um, so you, I'm sure you've seen many pictures of it, videos um, but people crossing all over the place. And then uh, we mentioned Ginza. How about the Harajuku girl? Like, that's a big thing over there. Well, Harajuku uh, is an area. And right. so they have the Harajuku girls, which I feel like Gwen Stefani made Americans aware of it. Yeah, with she, that song, she, right? Well, she had her, like, her whole album was dedicated to it. But they're... So Harajuku, the area, is also another shopping district. Mm-hmm. So kind of trendy, Ginza-esque. I would say, um, but yeah, like how would you describe the girls that are known in that area just to be, you know, walking around and hanging out? I would say that it's also like kind of like futuristic outfits. Um, they have like different color hair, a lot of makeup, like platform boots, short like pleather skirts. A lot of Hello Kitty. Lot, yeah, <laughs> yes. I saw it all over. Pikachu, Karopi, it's like bringing me back to middle school. Let's talk about the fish market. Suki, what, how do you pronounce it? I think it's, um, I think the T is silent, so Skiji. Skiji fish market. Uh, I believe they have moved locations have. recently, but they're known for the tuna auction there. Um, and you have to get there at 5 a.m. There's only a limited number of spots if you really want to see this. And it's not just like, tuna auction for people that live in Tokyo. Like, there are people that, like, have tuna shipped to New York for, like, Japanese restaurants. So it's, like, a world-renowned thing. Right. Um, so, yeah, so there are two restaurants there. So there are Sushi Dai and Sushi Daiwa. Um, and they do something called a sushi breakfast, but it's really just, like, an omakase. Um, what is an omakase for people who don't know? Okay, sorry. So they're pieces of sushi and sashimi. So like not like a sushi roll, but an individual piece of fish that's typically on on top of rice. Right. Um, we got there at 8 in the morning, I believe, to just like line up. And there were... I don't know, 50, 60 people ahead of us. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. This is just like on a normal day at the fish market, getting sushi for breakfast. Um, When we made it in there, the whole experience took about 15 minutes. Um, It it was good. It wasn't the best sushi we had there. Um, But it's super reasonable. Yeah, it's very affordable. So I would say that it was like $20 a person. And like if you were going to have omakase, like that in Manhattan, it would cost you $80 a person. So there's that. Um, you want to talk about more food? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so... How about Narasawa? 
Okay, you're going to like go for like heavy hitter. Oh, do you, do you have something else in mind? I mean, I was going to go over like all of like the different, the other types of food in Japan. Like I feel like people just think of sushi, but there's okay. ramen, there's tempura. So. That's it? Okay, so tempura tenmasa is the most famous tempura place. I don't like tempura. You're not too keen on it, but if you're there, you should try it. It's, like, very lightly battered. I'm just, like, not into making vegetables unhealthy. I think it's really stupid. Um, And then ramen. So we went to uh, Ichiran before it was open in New York. But you're you're not gonna have a bad bowl of ramen in Japan. So literally, like anywhere you go to is probably gonna be excellent and much better than like what it is in the states. I will say that the seating is really interesting. So when you're getting ramen, like all the places are through a machine, and then they call your number. And if you're eating there, they basically make you sit in solitude. So you're kind of like sitting at a desk that has like walls on either side. And it's kind of like you're taking like the SATs. Um, well, let's, let's explain that a little more. So you, you put your order into a machine. You mm-hmm. pay first. They give you a ticket. You take that ticket. They seat you in these individual enclosed booths. and you Like kitty prison. And you slide your ticket underneath a little window to whoever is back there taking the tickets and cooking. You don't see them at all. Yeah. Um, and then you're kind of just waiting there, and then a bowl of ramen pops out about five minutes later, and that's how they do it. Yeah. Um, it was really good. It it was very interesting, uh, and they're all over the place now, and they've kind of branched out, but to eat it there, and because I don't think they do, like, if you go to one of these, like, Ichiran places in New York or whatever, um, they don't do the ticket thing. Like, you pay prior. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about that. So that might be unique to Tokyo, in a sense. Um, so that was good. I agree with you on the, um, what was it, the fried vegetables? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a fan of those. Yeah, we're just not tempura people. Um, okay, so you want to you talk about Narasawa? Sure. Top ten restaurant in the world. Correct. Um, number one or two in in all of Asia. Uh, we went there for lunch. It was kind of unassuming, down an alley, no real signage except for one little sign on the door. Um, and so we went there for lunch because... It's cheaper. A little trick I have, yeah, is I always like to check the menus. And if it's the same number of courses in a tasting menu... I will go there for lunch because it's typically a lot less money. So that's why we did that. Um, And then we used the Amex Platinum Concierge to book the reservation. So I think that you're going to have a really hard time dealing with the restaurant direct. So I would either suggest... Can you 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 explain what that is? Yeah, I'm going to explain what that is. But I'm saying like I wouldn't... I wouldn't reach out to a restaurant directly. I would either reach out to your hotel concierge... Or a lot of these high-end credit cards have a concierge service. So Amex Platinum, I've had really good luck with them. It's an email alias that's linked to your to your Amex Platinum card, and you you know tell them the dates um, when you're looking to go. I love them for international because you know they're actually operating on like 
a Japanese clock or a European clock. And so a lot of times like these reservations are so coveted that when they become released, I'm sleeping. So takes care of a, a, a lot of stress. And this was on your hit list, Narasawa, to go to. Yes. Um, so we did go there for lunch. And we had and turtle. Yeah, that was the first time. What would you think of turtle? I don't know that I've had turtle again. No, first and only time. Yes. What were your thoughts? Um, It was like turtle soup. And I believe it was just like the broth. So go ahead, grab that menu off our wall. I'm grabbing the Narasawa menu so I can accurately tell you about the autumn collection, okay? Bread of the forest, chestnut and yuzu, no chestnut for me because I'm allergic, uh, essence of the forest, soft-shelled turtle, there you go, sea snake, did you remember the sea snake? So I think I'm getting confused with the sea snake because I think that was the soup. Uh, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Harry so, Crab. So, Harry so, Crab. So we had turtle and snake. Yeah, we did. Um, Spanish mackerel, sea bream, sea bass, scene of the seashore. Oh, beef I sirloin. We had Kobe beef there. Yep. Swordfish, and then the two thousand nine Kobe beef. And so I remember rationalizing in my head eating here because we wanted to have Kobe beef and going to a restaurant that specialized in Kobe beef was basically the same amount of money as eating at Narasawa. So that was my... Good pick. I'm, All yes. day. High five. Woo! There you um, go. Okay. So that was Narasawa. And then we went to... Well, how would you rate Narasawa like in all your food travels and your top tens and like how was it i would give it like an eight six or an eight seven okay so pretty good but not your favorite correct what about you i thought it was really good uh i'll go nine two okay i i like i definitely didn't find anything wrong with it to knock it down into the eights so i'll go i'll go nine two because it wasn't even my favorite meal in tokyo that maybe that's why and like we're well, gonna, I'll agree with you on that. We're going to get to that. Um, before we get to our favorite meal, there was one other one, which was Caillou Bay, which I found on Someone Feed Phil, which... Oh, yeah, Phil... Phil Rosenthal, Mr. Adorable. Creator of Everybody Loves, Loves Raymond. Raymond. Um, so they had two locations. So this is the restaurant where we switched where the location we were going to. Initially, we were going to the location in Ginza, and it was going to cost us basically the same amount of money to go there as it would to eat there. So then I changed it because they had a location around the fish market. Was this the live shrimp place? That it was the live shrimp place. <laughs> so they asked, would you like cooked shrimp or live, live shrimp? shrimp? And like at a sushi place... That's not really an uncommon thing, but when you think about shrimp, it's, like, it's still alive. Like, it's squirming on the table. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was interesting. It's not like a live scallop, which just sits there. Um, this is a different story. Yeah, no, it was crawling. It was, it was interesting. Um, okay, so you want to talk about our favorite restaurant? Drum roll, please. Jiro. <laughs> Jiro, Sushi of Dreams. You may have seen it, uh, I think it was the original, like, Netflix like special. Food, like, food doc yeah. documentary. Yeah, food documentary. 
Um, man, this was the best sushi I've ever eaten and maybe the best piece of food in general that I've ever eaten. Like, not only did it live up to the hype, but it exceeded expectations. Um, there are two locations for Jiro. The original Jiro Sushi Master, his is... Um, I believe in Ginza, and it's underground in the subway. See, everything is in Ginza. Come on, you have to. Okay. That. Yeah. Okay. Continue. Just the original. Um, we did not go to that one. We went to. Well, they wouldn't give us a reservation. <laughs> That's right. We didn't have a choice. Um, we went where they told us to go. <laughs> so we went to Rapongi Hills, um, where Jiro's son opened up. So Jiro's son obviously trained with him for many, many years, and all the guys there have trained for so long, and it's so particular. It's such a unique experience to go in and, and see what they do. And well, They're so smart. So Jared and I are both lefties, and so even the way that they would plate our sushi was different because we're left-handed. Yeah, it was wild. Like, uh, first of all, we got this reservation, you know, months and months in advance. They don't have a phone number, so there's no way to confirm, but they do have your reservation there. Um, you walk in, there's probably eight seats at the bar. There's four guys, uh, including, you know, Jiro's son working back there. And Melissa mentioned, you know, the placement uh, of the utensils and everything. Uh, two things to note that... It wasn't just the utensils, because people do that all the time. It was literally the way that they right. were putting the fish on the Correct. plate. They, yes, they angled it. was, ang- like, a, it was like a different it. slant. So you got called out. Originally, do you remember why you got called out for using chopsticks? Correct. You, yeah, that was a big, big no-no. You do not use chopsticks, which is interesting because they leave the chopsticks there. I'm like, um, why are these people fucking with so, me? So, so the way that they do it is they don't want you to m- mess with the fish. Like this is such an exact piece of fresh fish that any tinkering with it is going to um, change the flavor and. So what they recommend, which they don't tell you at first, is to use your fingers. Now, if you want to use chopsticks, there is a certain way to use the chopsticks, and that is where you don't touch the fish. You With the rice. Right. You put the chopsticks on the rice delicately and pick it up like that. But what's easier to do is just use your fingers. Um, so you got called out originally on that, and then we I think we both got called out for talking. Um, this is like a very intimate, intense, quiet experience, and they didn't want you talking through it. Um, unless they asked you, uh, good, and then you say yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you answer. Um, another rule, don't ask for soy sauce. Don't dip anything uh, if it requires... A I would say if you're eating omakase, you don't need soy sauce. Right. But some people don't know, you know, the rules. Maybe they're going, they eat, they go to the regular sushi joint, you know, they get a California roll, they happen to be in Tokyo, they have this reservation, they just don't know. So anything that... Now re- you know. Right, now you know. Anything that requires any sauce at all will be brushed on by them you don't have to ask for extra, and you may get kicked out if you do <laughs> ask for soy sauce. Uh, so don't do it. Um, we went for lunch there. It was, uh, you know, a re- regular size omakase lunch or dinner, if you will, 12 to 15 pieces, um, super good, over too quick. Uh, it, 
just the experience along with the freshness of the fish, it was nothing like I had ever tasted before. And I think you will, you'll agree that it was kind of mind blowing. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. So the hype was real there. It was great. It was our favorite um, place to eat on the trip. It was, I don't know, maybe our favorite place in the world to eat. And it's interesting because they're not like on any list. They're not on, and there's a reason for this. They're not on the world's best, you know, 50 best restaurants. They're not in the Michelin guide. So they don't have three Michelin stars, two Michelin stars, whatever. Um, They chose not to do it a long time ago. Jiro um, did not want to deal with that stuff. He thought that, you know. It took away from the um, integrity of his art. Right. And, you know, over time, it's just grown into such a phenomenon that he doesn't need that other stuff. Like, he doesn't need those accolades because people come back and they talk about this amazing experience and more people want to go and the reservation (laughs) could take four months to get. So, like, it's not necessary. But it, it is interesting in a day and age where, like, accolades and social media and that stuff is, like, so important to people. And he doesn't care about any of it. I mean, yet he did allow Netflix to do a documentary on him, which I think is interesting. But it was before, like, this whole craze of just food documentaries and food videos. Like, he was one of the first ones to ever do it. I think, yeah, totally. But, like, he still allowed cameras to follow him around, which I find a little bit surprising. But... If you watch the documentary, it's super interesting. I'm I'm happy that he did, because otherwise I probably wouldn't have known about it. And it was one of the best meals, if not the best meal we've ever had. So I agree. Super so special. if you're going to go to Tokyo, try and get a reservation in advance. Uh, we used Amex Platinum Concierge for that as well. Yeah, and it was great. Um, you may not know if the reservation's <laughs> confirmed or not, but just take their word for it because there is no phone number to call. But it will be, in my opinion, the best sushi of your life. So if you are a sushi lover... Go get it if you're heading to Tokyo. Or make a trip, <laughs> plan a trip to go yeah, get just it. go get some sushi. That's right. Um, so another big thing in Tokyo are their department stores. Um, kind of like in Europe as well. So the one that we went to is Takishama. And they're all really famous for their food halls um, in like their lower levels. Uh, it's pretty cool. They have everything from like ramen to, you know, pastries So definitely worth checking out. And then Akihabara is the tech area, which I think like borders on the red light district. And it's just everything from like futuristic gadgets. They have so many old school Game Boys, original Super Nintendos. Um, So if you're an electronics freak, like that is your place. Yeah, just um, such a unique spot to go to and and so eye-opening that... You know, this place really exists. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, at the beginning, it's just so not America. And I didn't really know what to expect going into it. Um, I heard it was a little easier to get around than it actually was for us. I heard, you know, the food was legit. It was great, which I'll agree with. Um, but you have to go experience it for yourself because, you know, I've heard five, six, seven different people come back from Tokyo and they all have something different to say. Like, I, I found it, you know, very fascinating. Um, it's someplace I would go back to. Yes, it is expensive, but it was it was super cool. So super cool. That was the first leg of our Asia trip. You'll have to tune in next week to see where the second trip 
was at, and the second stop of three. Um, let's wrap it up by giving out our passport stamps. So you can go first. Overall score, 0 through 10. You know how it works. No round numbers. Um, everybody knows the rules. So 0 through 10, Tokyo, what'd you think, and why? 8, 9. 8, 9, okay, and why? I... I got so excited prepping for this episode that it almost like made me fall in love with Tokyo all over again. Um, I'm deducting the 1.1 points just because it was very hard to get around and it was very expensive, but I think it was such a fascinating city. I didn't get bored there. A lot of times I'm over a city within three days and the food was between that and Italy, like favorite food in the world. Okay, 8.9. Um, I will go 9.4, and kind of for the same reasons, um, really just how expensive it was, but I think we were only there for three nights, so if you're going for Tokyo for like a week, it would be a different story, and I'd probably knock it down a lot more. But for three nights, um, and the sights that we saw, and the food that we ate, and how great it was, which we just talked about, um, I really loved it. And even just like walking around at night in the different neighborhoods, like you don't have to go in anywhere to experience it. You're just like walking the streets and kind of like gawking at all of this stuff, all of these lights, all this, all these people. It's a lot of sensory. Right. Yeah. It, it's pretty cool. Um, I would say I would want to go back there. Like I thought three nights was a good amount of time, but I could definitely go back there for another three. Yeah, and, we. I think we should, and we should do some other cities that we haven't I, been to. Yeah, and I think it's a good starter city also for Asia. Um, I don't it, really in the sense. Okay, let me let me backtrack a little. Um, like, if you want a real experience, okay, it would be a good place to go to because it would it would open your eyes to what's out there. Some of the other places that we've been to, um, like a Singapore, for example, a little more Americanized, maybe a starter city. Um, but I would go 9-4 on Tokyo. I would go back, and those are our passport stamps. Um, so thanks so much for listening to episode number 15 of the itinerary. 15, woo! There we um, go, 1-5. So for a language that we had a really hard time understanding, ironically, the way to say bye-bye in Japanese is Bye-bye. Okay, so remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. And most importantly, tell a friend to listen. And, of course, you do the same. Also, if you want help booking your next trip and get the most value out of those points and miles, go to the website, theitinerarytravel.info, and get in touch. So one more time, how do you say goodbye? Bye-bye. See ya.